everyone, welcome back to the Earth on Survival Guide, a podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, and game masters, enthusiasts like Josh and myself. I am Dan, with me is Josh. Hello, everybody. As usual, and we're 61, 61 episodes into this uh, lo- lovely walk down Earth Dawn Lane, and tonight we'll be discussing all things thaumaturgical, because we're going to do a study in the, kind of get, getting into the weeds a little bit of spell acquisition in all of the different editions of Earth Dawn and exactly how to get spells after you are your character has been created. And so we can kind of go through how this has changed and evolved over time and things like that. We don't have any questions to answer right now. So if you want to send us a question, by all means, do so at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. How to gather and uh, uh, collect spells after your character is made. Because there have been some differences in the editions over the years. And I took some like serious notes with page numbers and everything to kind of go over what the thought process is. So we're going to get in the weeds like we did for Forge Blade and Astral yes. Space. We're, it was, year 2021 is like getting into the weeds year. So <laughs> our first year was like covering a lot of the basics. And now we're getting into like we, we're, we're out of the 101 courses. We're now into like maybe the 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 201s. Yeah, I agree. If you, if you think of, of this as a <laughs> university course. Yes, because the second half of, of every discipline's uh, talent progression is forthcoming in yes somewhere this year. Uh, so we'll get to those. That's that's 201. Once you get your character to eight circle, we'll get you past that with with the rest of what we're going to talk about. But today, all things thaumaturgical. So let me let me lead Josh a little bit here. So he he's the line developer, one of. So we can kind of walk down this this lane here. In first edition, page 151, you get your starting spells, which is equal to your perception step. Not a lot's yes. changed over the years, except for one instance. But after character creation, there's nowhere in there that I could find on a cursory glance that says how you get spells after that. Well, there is. It's just that it is subject to the whims of what you are able to come across. You mm-hmm. learn new in first edition, you get your starting spells, and then you learn new spells by finding grimoires in cares or by, you know, learning spells from other magicians. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's but there's nothing that gives you any additional spells for free. Yeah. You have to track down the spells and learn them. And mm-hmm. that's done with what in first edition was the rewrite magic talent. Yeah. But basically you you learn the the spell and transcribe it into your grimoire. And there are sections in Pretty sure it's in the beginning of the spell magic chapter of first edition that talks about the process of learning new spells. Absolutely. But yeah, there's nothing that there's nothing that that like what you have your starting allotment and then, you know, you gain additional spells based on what you can find. Yeah. And as I've said uh, many, many podcasts ago, like episode one or two, I've run most, if not all of the pre-gen adventures that were put out there. There's not a lot of grimoires to find to hand those out. So I had a really hard time. I still have a really hard time figuring out how to lace in where to get a grimoire from or if you've acquired one or something along those lines for my players. But that's for later on in the episode or so. So there's no legend point cost. There's no silver cost. Just if you find a spell and you roll your read and write magic high enough, you can learn it, copy it to your grimoire, so forth and so on. 
there's no there's no codified silver cost. Yeah, fair. I think that it's with the rules and and the idea in there, especially where one of the aspects that's talked about with learning spells mm-hmm. is that you get a bonus if you if someone is trying to teach someone who knows the spell is trying to teach it to you. You get yes. a bonus to your read and write magic test, and so while there's no codified silver cost, mm-hmm. presumably. You, if you, you know, there would be, would be potentially one way that you could learn new spells is by paying somebody who knows the spell to teach it to you yes. in much the same way that you pay a trainer to advance in circle or you pay somebody to, to teach you higher skill ranks and things like that. Yeah. Um, it's just not something I, I think offhand that has provided any detail in the book. Not that I could remember because I have a highlighted book like Mad and I couldn't find it again because yeah, this is many, many moons ago on first edition. Right. And I haven't looked at those rules in quite some time. So Absolutely. I can't you're recall on, off the top of my head. working on fourth. So it's okay. We're here to lead people through the progression as to how we got to fourth and what that looks yes. like. So second edition, uh, after Fossa kind of closed his doors summarily, uh, your, starting sp- your starting spells moved over into – being based upon your willpower step and not your perception yes. step. This is a slight de- – this is the f- first and only departure from that. Well, it, it is one of, of two notable departures in second edition from yes. first edition. One of them is the changeover for starting spells to be willpower. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that, from what I'm vaguely remembering, was to do a little bit in the course of character creation to spread out – to not have quite so much emphasis on certain things. So so perception wouldn't do all the heavy lifting. It would just do half of it. Right. So that everything wouldn't be based on perception. So that the number, because your spell casting, your thread weaving talents, those are both your read-write magic for for magicians, because it largely still used the first edition talent progression and the yes. talents that were available. So you got read-write magic, read-write language. Uh, spell casting, thread, thread weaving, weaving, two matrices, and karma ritual. Yeah. As your magician started with seven talents at first circle. Mm-hmm. And all of those, except for karma ritual and the two matrices, which aren't based on an attribute at all, yes. are all based on perception. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea was that, well, let's have something to start off that's based on willpower because willpower is important for effect tests. Willpower isn't is an important attribute. Yes. So let's make this so that we I don't know that it was necessarily ever a problem. And maybe this is just because of the way that I approach building characters in general. Mm -hmm. But the idea being that you dump everything you possibly can to get your perception as high as possible and not worry about willpower quite so much because eventually you'll get will force, whether that's fourth circle, nethermancer or fifth circle for everybody else, Mm -hmm. basically. And so it might have been just a way to, hey, if somebody is going to go that route with their character build, that if yeah. they're going to go perception uberales, that they do not have as many spells to start off with because they shorted their willpower. Mm-hmm. And I don't think for most characters, it's actually that big a deal to to at least get a, a decent selection. You could, this is the case in first and second, and I'm pretty sure later editions as well, mm-hmm. you are not limited to just first circle spells when you're creating your character using those points. Correct. A first all circle the spell costs are... one point. So you can pick up a second circle spell. It costs two points. Yep. 
understanding, of course, that as a first circle character, the only way that you'll be able to, especially under first edition rules, the only way that you would be able to cast a second circle spell is through raw magic until you reach second circle. Mm -hmm. And that is something that has stayed in place throughout all of the editions. Yes. The other thing that second edition did is introduced the the idea of paying legend points to learn spells. Nope. This is one of I, the thing I couldn't I couldn't find that anywhere. Really? Could have no, sworn they, that they did they that. They had uh you got your so when when you went up a circle, you got your new circle times two in spell points to purchase new spells with for second really? edition. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah, because that was on page one forty-seven, uh, and then if you happen to get someone to teach you teach you spells, it was fifty silver pieces times the spell level you were trying to learn. But I couldn't find a legend point cost in there. I may just not have looked deep enough. Um, well, I know the example that's on page one forty-eight. Oh, there we go. Talks about a talks the examples there talk about spending the legend points. Okay. To do that, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, I saw the, second, the, the first full paragraph on page 148. I just right didn't turn the, the spell page. difficulty table. <laughs> Each My new fault. spell copied into a magician's grimoire costs a number of legend points equal to 100 times the circle of the spell. Okay. So a first circle spell is 100, a second is 200, 300, etc. Gotcha. So, so there's that. The other thing that second edition did with regards to magicians, and one of the reasons, mm-hmm. first edition, it didn't cost legend points to learn new spells. You just, yeah. if you could make the test, you, you could learn it. them. Second edition, because of the prevalence, and we've talked about the multidiscipline mm-hmm. encouragement that happened because of the way that multidiscipline rules worked in first edition. Yeah. So the, the ease of being a multidiscipline character in terms of legend point cost and overlapping talents for magicians in first edition, coupled with versatility for um, humans mm-hmm. picking up thread weaving from other magician disciplines, not going full multidiscipline, but being able to cast spells of other disciplines yes. by picking up their thread weaving. There was, at least among the online community and those who were involved in the playtesting of second edition, because a lot of us were online at that time, the perception of spellcasters being a little bit overpowered, especially once you got into higher circles and had so many spells potentially available and the power of them and things like that. Yeah. That there was a an effort to, for lack of a better term, to nerf them, to, mm-hmm. to try and scale back on or make it a little bit more costly for a magician to pull out all the stops yeah. as far as major power. <laughs> and so they introduce legend point costs for spells so that a magician who is going the multidiscipline route or a yeah. human who's picking that up with versatility has to sink additional legend points in in order to learn those additional spells. Gotcha. The counteract of that was, well, okay, when they advance to a new circle, they get some points to pick up a couple of spells for free of their new discipline circle so that they have yeah. spells there mm-hmm. for free. It doesn't cost legend points to learn those. Yeah. But that they get those so that they have the fun toys to play with for their new discipline or their yeah, new circle. There's a whole bunch of record keeping in, in second yeah. edition. Well, I mean, it, that's... That's that's a downtime record keeping thing. It's yeah. not a huge problem. Like it's not something that's going to largely affect in the midst of like it's not something that's going to come up in the midst of combat. So oh, no, that, no, that's no. like it's kind of two different kinds of record keeping. Oh, the other agreed, thing that agreed. second edition did 
is that second edition introduced the idea of the spell matrices that are learned that are given by each discipline mm-hmm. are unique to that discipline. And so you can only put elementalist spells in elementalist matrices. You can only put wizard spells into wizard matrices. That was something that was done to cause problems for versatile spellcasters. <laughs> Basically <laughs> requiring pesky, pesky them to learn under versatility matrices of another discipline. Yeah. Meaning an even higher legend point cost overall to kind of go that route. Second edition did some changes, like introduced something to with the idea of trying to cast from your own grimoire, which was something that couldn't really be done in first edition. Mm-hmm. Anyway, bunch of stuff done in second edition to try and address the multidiscipline magician and versatile magician problems. Yes. I disagreed with the idea of discipline specific matrices because under first edition, there was a limit like you could only learn as many total matrices as were available mm-hmm. across all of your magician disciplines. So yeah. most disciplines got four standard matrices. Mm-hmm. The wizard only got three, but the wizard got an additional of a higher type one yeah, yeah, yeah. later on. So that the total number of matrices across all 15 circles for the for each magician discipline ended up being the same. Yes total it's just they might have been divided up a little differently between standard and enhanced, enhanced and share sharing. and armored blah 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 correct i did a did a little excel spreadsheet chart in that once upon a time and they are a little bit yeah, yeah, yeah. all fiddly the limiter was that great you if you are a versatile or you are a multi-discipline magician who knows two or three disciplines magician disciplines and has spells access from all of those you are still only limited to having mm-hmm. two or three or four matrices at any given time you've just got more spells that you can slot in but you are still limited to however many you can have at the time that versatility that basically introducing the discipline specific matrices meant that oh now a dual discipline magician can have two wizard spells and two elementalist spells for example ready to go in their starting matrices right off the gate as opposed to needing to decide which of their wizard and (laughs) elementalist spells they are going to put there are twice as many spells they're still only limited to two matrices people who are familiar with fourth edition may see where some of the stuff that came from (laughs) out of that anyway yes a lot of stuff going on with with second edition in terms of trying to address the problem of magicians picking up multiple disciplines picking up versatile yeah because mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of in setting restrictions kind of that would be in place there but they were not really supported or backed up by the mechanics understood moving on to classic because classic came out before third so classic had yes. the started off the exact same way you're starting spells points are equal to your perception step that's back to first edition because second edition moved to willpower. You get now when you get to second circle and third circle and fourth circle and fifth circle, you get one free spell from whoever's training you to do so. Right. Uh, so that's page, yes. since you're looking it up in the book, that's page 64. Uh, that's page 64. So you get one free one. Yes. And if you come across any spells or get want to get your mentor to teach you more, it's 100 silver now. Not 50, 100 silver times the spell's circle, which is an optional rule, or or also the legend point cost is based upon the talent rank of novice talents as well. So that's actually classic page. had classic had that. What page is the legend point cost on? 
Um, I think 284. <laughs> I mean, it's not weird. I obviously agree okay. with the decision. I just didn't think that it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. The spell legend point cost mm-hmm. and the spell learning cost sidebar that's on page 284 of the Red Brick Player's Compendium from the, Classic, the, the those tone. are labeled as optional rules. And that's yes. probably why I wasn't. Fair. Um, those, yeah. Okay. <laughs> those were, I think, left in there in part because of second edition. Mm-hmm. And they just they just made the, the silver cost easier instead of 50. They made it 100 because everything else is usually 100 as well. So it's also yeah. easier math. For downtime. So, so so if if people felt that legend that paying legend points for spells was necessary, if they wanted mm-hmm. to do that, those rules were still there, but it was not the default assumption. Yeah. It was, not, it, was, it, was it was clearly marked as an optional rule. Yeah. So <clears throat> but that's where they were that's where they ended up. So but this is one of those. So let's let's pretend for example, we've got a character made for for any of the magician classes disciplines. So at first edition, you get your let's say seven for your perception step. That's it. Uh, in second edition, you get seven, but every circle you get two times your circle in spell points to get new spells forever. There's no limit. Now in classic right. edition, they say ah, you get your seven beginning spells, same character, but you get a free one at second circle, a free one at third circle, a free one at fourth circle, and a last bonus free spell at fifth circle, that's it. So maybe you get five more for nothing. So you're up to 12 well, free four spells. four more because you get your, your starters right, at second, first, third, and then fifth. second, third, fourth, fifth. So that's I, four I additional. I didn't do the math right. Yeah. So that's it. So four math more plus your seven. Math is hard. I can't math today. Uh, so you get 11 total spells for free before you have to do any other uh, uh, legend point costs or silver cost. That's classic. Yeah, so it kind of homogenized maybe both first and second. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first first didn't give you anything bonus. Second gave you more points to spend. Spent the same way that you get them at character creation. And but classic, I think, just simplified it and said you get basically as part of your training to a new circle, mm-hmm. your master teaches you a spell of your new circle, and it doesn't cost you anything. It's included as part of your training. Yeah. So okay. But they stopped doing that. They stopped like you get one last one when you become a journeyman, when you reach fifth circle. And then after that, you're on your own. Yeah. Whatever you you find still conceivably learn. Yeah. You still could conceivably learn spells from your your master when you were advancing circles Mm -hmm. elsewhere. But there's no 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 more free ride. Yeah, pretty much. So I just love so classic at least kind of honed in on the or, or put a limit on. You just took as many points every single circle until the end of uh, your progression. We'll put a limit on that. You get to, you know, fifth and then you're done. So one one right. spell each, that's all. So on to third edition, which is exactly the same way. You get your starting character. Your spell points are equal to your perception step. Again, to Josh's point earlier, uh, first circle spells are one point. Second circle spells are two points. You can't cast them until you get your matrix up to rank two, so forth and so on. And you get one new spell per circle again in third edition at second, third, fourth, and another one at fifth. So they they kind of kept that from classic right there. And the optional rule was still the uh, if you want to spend not want you have to spend a hundred silver times the circle of the spell to pay for learning it to acquire it from the master. And your legend point cost is again equal to the novice talent rank cost, which is the Fibonacci scale. So right. So, and again, marked as an optional rule. 
Yeah. So those are optional rules. So really, third edition didn't stray. I don't think at all from classic. Yeah, third edition kept things the same as as yeah classic in yeah. that regard. So now we get to fourth, <laughs> and we get to fourth. And when it comes to spells, we kept the perception step in spell points. Yep. We no longer grant free spells on advancement, and we made the legend point cost no longer optional but mandatory. And it follow, but it follows the same cost sequence that the circle. It's basically buying like a one-time cost of a new talent, the the talent off of the novice rank. Yeah, so yeah. a third circle spell costs as if you were buying just rank three, mm-hmm. so three hundred legend for yeah. that. Now to counteract that, we give you matrices for free, and they advance for free. Mm-hmm. I know I'm pretty sure. That despite it being an optional rule in there, that most people did not use that optional rule and in third edition got spells for free. Yeah. Because there was a, a bit of an initial backlash. I think that the versatility of toolkit that spells provide, I think that's something that should, that you should need to invest in. Mm-hmm. And I, can recognize the argument from people who feel that it ends up hampering that basically getting two talents that advance for free does not really counteract the legend point investment that is required to be a magician or, you know, to be a a magician that's got a really big suite of spells. And we've heard the complaints about the number of spells available. (laughs) We're not going to address that today, but that, a magician that with the same number of legend points, a magician in theory ends up being a little bit behind their com- their non spell casting companions mm-hmm. when it comes to their circle, yeah. because a magician needs to invest points that could go into advancing their talents, mm-hmm. which would advance their circle into spells in order to have more spells. I recognize that argument. I just don't think that in the grand scheme of things, it actually hampers magicians that much. Fair. That, yeah, your sword master might hit fifth circle a, a couple of, like, have the points or, or qualify for fifth circle a couple of sessions before the wizard does. Mm-hmm. Just basically, you know, because if a magician has to spend the legend points to... The equivalent talent cost yeah. of buying a talent like one of their fourth circle talents from nothing up to the rank five that's needed for mm-hmm. advancement to fifth circle costs the same as buying a first, second, third, fourth, and fifth circle spell. Mm-hmm. So that five spells is the equivalent to one talent being brought up to, to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just... I don't think that when you start talking about the number of le- the actual number of legend points being involved, the other stuff that characters can spend legend points on, I, d- I don't find it. I don't personally find it a very compelling argument. I can Is understand it, it. Yeah. Or I recognize it, but mm-hmm. I don't find it particularly compelling given. I mean, there are only so many spells. Well, and it doesn't seem to be to me all that prohibitive when a spell is a one-time purchase. Right. You pay a, a one-time flat cost and then you've got this additional. It's like it's like 
picking up a knack. Yeah. Essentially, that's, that's I think I've mentioned it on the show before, and we've certainly mm-hmm. talked about it in other places, that sort of from a game mechanical standpoint, picking up a spell, which gives you an additional tool, an additional toy, an additional yeah. power to play with, mm-hmm. is... I mean, you need to spend legend points to learn knacks, which are yeah. also new powers and toys and so forth that mm-hmm. have a one-time cost. It's yeah. just that knacks are not necessarily seen as required the way that spells are, and that's perhaps a, a fair argument. But mm-hmm. again, I, I don't think in the grand scheme of things the actual legend point differential makes that big a difference. You're not looking at a situation like, say, from old school AD&D – where the number of experience points that were required for the different classes to advance were dramatically different. Yeah. And like in basic D&D, the old like red box system and whatnot, a thief advanced at 1,250 was second level mm-hmm. and was like 2,500 at third level, whereas an elf in that system had to get 4,000 before they reached second level and that you could end up with some some potentially mm-hmm. some potential disparity between character power in that regard. Yeah. I just don't th- I don't find it hugely compelling and I don't think the the differential is that big when it comes to magicians especially when it comes to the tools and toys that they can bring to bear as a result of being spellcasters. I have no argument with that whatsoever. So, I agree. So, we've got our beginning character. We've got seven spells to begin with ish, maybe Six, if you want to get a second circle spell and all that jazz. So here's where my problem has been as a game master for the last 20 years running all the pre-gen adventures is in the pre-gens, most of the time, it's really hard to come across a grimoire. So I think listening to the Legends of Earth on podcast that Cliff made a special sidebar and he did a really good job where Virag went and stopped by somebody's uh, uh, I'm fumbling for the words went to the uh, uh, another mancer in the town met the yeah we, we stopped by yeah we stopped by the floating city yeah that's where it was. and and I went and I had a like a like a RP heavy session where I basically had a one-on-one with with another mancer there in, in the yeah. floating city for like half an hour or something like It was like, like 40 that, episodes ago, so time. my memory's not all that great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was, I mean, that was a, but as part of that was like, hey, I'm looking to learn some spells. Yes. Right. So that, but we also but we also had one of the adventures where we were delving into the ruins of Parlanth, mm-hmm. came across a lab or something like that that had, you know, an elementalist grimoire in it. Obviously, we got the library from Palantrax's tower mm-hmm. that had a whole bunch of magical stuff in it. Yeah, certainly, especially when you start looking at some of the semi third party stuff that was created, like things that were released originally in the uh, the Earth on Journal, mm-hmm. some of the shards and whatnot that were created with classic. Yeah, grimoires were not something that were necessarily there as a deliberate reward, mm-hmm. but for example. Infected, the adventure Infected has a has a Nethermancer NPC in it. Yeah. And if something happens and you are able to actually kill the Nethermancer, you can find their grimoire and if you have a Nethermancer in the group, learn the spells in it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's largely a matter of just the GM needs to 
put the opportunity for magicians to get access to spells as part of what's going on. Yeah. They're going to be learning their new circle from a magician of their discipline anyway. That's mm-hmm. plenty of opportunity for a magician to learn new spells. Okay. There's just not really any guidance in the book about, well, how much does it cost kind of kind of thing. Yeah. So I was going to say, so you're more experienced at this than I am. I was going to say, walk, it's, walk us through a little bit on how to lace in some of those opportunities as you're playing through any adventure at all. Is it just basically finding one from somebody uh, like, like we give out three examples from what Cliff has been able to do in the legends of earth dawn, which is you can go to a town and find another mancer or find a wizard or whatever the case may be. Do you just ask around for the nearest one or does everyone know where they are? Or are these people keeping kind of secrets? (laughs) Well, I mean, I would presume like any adept, particularly if they're more experienced, Mm -hmm. they have a reputation there's the the tiers of fame yes. that you can kind of extrapolate from for from the the legend point totals that are in the the books mm-hmm. whether you know somebody is known of or not but a i mean a magician i mean you could do a half magic test perception based half magic test to see if your character knows of somebody might have heard of somebody in the area mm-hmm. um certainly doing like a a streetwise um test if if you're if you've got uh, if you've got somebody in the group that has a skill like that, that allows yeah. you to learn information about an area, mm-hmm. charisma based half magic, perhaps. I mean, like there's a, a lot of or you could just provide that information. It doesn't necessarily it doesn't even yeah. necessarily need to be something that requires a test. Yeah, it must be gleaned. Yeah, I mean, adepts, especially if they have settled down and are in the area. Somebody presumably <laughs> will know about them we'll and knocking. you could get that information unless they are, you know, some kind of super reclusive whatever out in the middle of nowhere and throw mind daggers at trespassers <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> trying to chase the revenuers off their land or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm writing that one down. Hang on. I'm going to write that one down. I'm going to use that. Just kidding. <laughs> but any magician that has – that would be advanced enough that yeah. your character would presumably want to learn spells from them. Mm-hmm. Somebody would know them. They would have relationships. You would be able to learn that. Another possibility, you know, if you're if you're talking about a, a town or a city, you know, a city or something like that of, of a decent size that might have a library, mm-hmm. the most common spells would probably be available from a grimoires that might be stored in a specialist library of Fair. some sort. I imagine that the Great Library of Thrall has grimoires in its collection that, you know, with your with your feet of the library that you could gain access to and potentially learn spells out of those. Fair. So every once in a while in the text, I come across this word about a guild. So are there magician guilds hanging around Earthdawn in a lot of places? Um, I, I, I would think any from potentially any of the other adventures I've, I've, I've come across. I mean, there are probably organizations of magicians. I don't think that much like there are not province-wide religious organizations for questors, Mm -hmm. there probably aren't province-wide organizations of magicians. I mean, higher – we've talked about populations and and how high circle adepts probably know each other because there aren't very many of them to begin Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. And – 
again, within a discipline, because you get because you learn from higher circle members of your discipline, the the wardens and masters, the the higher circle journeymen of a discipline, there aren't going to be a whole lot of them. And so their names would presumably be known. Yeah. And so, again, I think that it's certainly possible that in the same way that you've got like merchant guilds within the kingdom of Thrall, mm-hmm. you've got guilds that are sort of dedicated to different professions and, and services and whatnot, that you absolutely could have a, a guild or a brotherhood or something like that of magicians who follow a discipline or maybe magicians of multiple disciplines who are sharing a, a common research goal or something like that could work together and potentially share information amongst themselves. I think especially if you're looking at some of the earlier books, like some of the first edition books and some of the Mm -hmm. earlier works released for first edition, I think there were some assumptions about a more D&D style world that ended up not getting fleshed out quite the same way as later books were developed and and things were changed a little bit in terms of, of how the setting developed. Fair. But like I said, I got I got tripped up on that word because I was like that. I, I would think like an elementalist guild that that would exist in Trevar. You're not looking at something that's got branch office. It's got scores of members. <laughs> it, it might have a dozen members of it. And probably half of them are sort of apprentice level or something along those lines. Yeah. But yeah, I large, large population centers like Thrall or Trevar or Europa could could absolutely have organizations that would maybe have multiple members of a of a magician discipline that all kind of maybe share information. Cool. No, I'm just looking for how to lace in ideas for either the game master to use or when the first time Earth Dawn player makes their first time, you know, spellcaster of any kind, once they play, you know, a round or, or, or a session or two or three, where they could expect to inquire with their game master, great, where do I get some new spells? How do I yeah. find those? Where do I acquire them? And it's not just always going care delving and finding a grimoire that's, you know, ancient and just hanging around waiting for them to find it. So it's just trying to figure out where other ideas could come from to kind of lace in for either the game master to drop hints at or dangle those carrots or for the players to come, you know, inquire on their own and look like they know what they're doing. Yeah, that, that all seems. So that was pretty much it is I wanted to go, like I said, walk through the weeds on the the. Changes from first edition to fourth edition, a beginning player would create their spellcaster, figure out their spells, and we'll do each uh, uh, school of magic later on, uh, which maybe starting spells are the best, more versatile to use, and why some of them haven't been ported over just yet to fourth edition. But moreover, how to create your character, and once you've played a little bit, where that player could walk through their setting that the game master's laid out for them and expect to inquire as to where to gain new spells, who to talk to about learning them. If it's more downtime, of course it's more downtime because you can't do it in combat. Um, But if it's just, it's not always care delving. Maybe it's inquiring in a certain town. Maybe it's, I don't know. That was what I was hoping we could get the leads on. You can get a grimoire as a reward or treasure or something like that from an adventure, Mm -hmm. whether through defeating, uh, you know, killing an enemy spellcaster who happens to have their grimoire with them. Yeah. And being able to to get some from that or exploring a, a, a place where, you know, a wizard's lab or something like that, where their grimoire or other kind of research notes might be in place to have that. Yeah. 
or learning it from a master or mentor or higher circle member of your discipline. And mm -hmm. obviously, if you're kind of following the the advancement rules as written in the book, you are going to be encountering that, those on a semi-regular basis. Yeah. Or from a, a library or, or something like that. Fair. You know, those are those are all the options and they there there is no reason that any of them should necessarily be restricted or, or limited in any sense. I mean, in, in much the same way it, as a GM might be coming up with ideas for thread items or, or modifying thread items that would be rewards for members of the group, whether you're doing something that is fully customized, intended for a particular character or coming up, you know, with whatever. Yeah. Magicians will be looking for spells. And so making sure that in some way spells are available to them is part of part of the GM's job, <laughs> making sure that they are being given the, the rewards that are appropriate for them. I agree. I would love to hear anybody else's ideas as to how they've either acquired spells as a player or uh, wonderful, new, interesting ideas as to how the game master has dropped in a spell as either a reward or a treasure throughout their, their, their gaming lifespan. So that's me. So any other thoughts on the various editions and spell no. acquisition? As I've mentioned elsewhere, I really like magicians. I really like spellcasters. They are, as we've talked about with the various sort of discipline overviews like we've done. Yeah. If, if you're a sort of crunchy tactical there's there's more moving parts when it comes to a, a magician character in terms of what you need to to keep track of. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like them for that approach to gameplay. But that power comes with a little bit of an extra price that I think is is warranted, given some of the the issues that crop up when those guide rails aren't in place. Yeah, potentially. But yeah, just in general, spells are great. Fair. Uh, I, I do have one last question I just thought of, which is only the first edition actually had a spell creation worksheet. And I know yeah. we've kind of brought that up before that fourth edition's not going to have that. And no other edition no. decided to renew that either. So since we're speaking of spell acquisition, you can't create your own spells in fourth edition. So, yeah, I know that one of uh, on the, um, I forget exactly who it is off the top of my head that's working on it, but he, he's been he's got a blog. He's been sharing the links on the Earth Dawn Guild on Facebook. Yeah, might be might be Rob from the um what one of the other name givers? AP podcasts. Yeah, I think he's I think name, he was givers. name givers. Yeah, I think he's name givers. Anyway, might be Rob, might not, but that's that's what's popping to my mind. Has been going through. Starting off right now with just the 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 illusionist spells because he's got he's an illusionist or he has a character in his group that's an illusionist yeah and doing sort of fourth edition updates to illusionist spells that have not yet appeared in fourth edition that were uh -huh. around in previous editions and it is kind of taking the guidelines looking at spells that were ported over and how they changed mm -hmm. and kind of using those as as a guideline you know you you are not limited by the spells that are just in the player's guide. Yeah. And I understand the desire or the, the caution maybe that goes along with, well, I don't want to adapt a spell from a previous edition that might show up in Morgan's big book of magic 
is forthcoming. Yeah, that shows up in Deeper Secrets (laughs) that is a different adaptation of that spell than what I created. Yeah. Because then I need to reconcile which one we're going to use. And I can understand that. But my feeling on that is, especially if you are of a design, like if you're not a developer design like if you're not an armchair developer designer whatever Mm -hmm. and you don't want to tackle that that's fine that is perfectly valid (laughs) i got to where i am by i i think a lot of gms have Mm -hmm. a little maybe have a little bit of armchair designer about them i mean that's kind of how i ended up where i am i I, yep me too i'm but as long as you approach it in much the same way that you would like if you're designing a thread item from scratch rather than using Mm -hmm. one that has been previously worked up If you keep those open lines of communication with your group, in this case with your magician, and say, here's the spell. I know you really liked the spell from previous edition. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have a fourth edition version. Here's what I've worked up for a current fourth edition version. Yeah. Understand that, like, as as it sees play, if we find that it's not appropriately balanced... Mm -hmm. If it's causing problems in this version, we might need to change some things or, or tone some things down. Yeah. One of the things that is a little bit easier when it comes to spell design in fourth edition is that the weaving difficulties mm-hmm. are standardized. Yep. You know, the weaving difficulty for all second circle spells is the same. Um, and that's both for standard threads and reattuning on the fly. Gotcha. And what you can kind of look at is spells that maybe have a similar kind of effect and see what the extra threads might do or what the extra successes Mm -hmm. might do on similar spells and just use that as a baseline and go from there. Okay, fair. Thank you for walking my rudimentary brain through all of the additions and changes about how to acquire spells and where to acquire spells and what that should cost you to, to acquire spells and for everyone else's edification on fourth edition, how you're not going to be able to create your own spells as a player. I did have actually one other thought because you talked about the cost for spells and I, we had discussed the yeah. legend point cost aspect of things Yes, and how I think that that's really important in fourth edition just to kind of address the, the toolkit the Swiss army knife of magicians <laughs> and, and the number of options that they have available, Absolutely. whether or not people ultimately agree with Morgan and I on that, mm-hmm. that is the design paradigm that we're working with. So yes. that, that being said, that being said, so the other part of the cost is potentially cost in silver mm-hmm. to acquire a spell. That is not necessarily something that would need to be paid every time. Mm hmm. That's something that's in there because people will have the question, well, I just want to go and learn a spell from somebody. How much does it cost me to do that? Yeah. The same way that circle advancement has a training cost, the same Mm -hmm. way that learning skill ranks has a talent, has a silver cost. Yeah. There are these training costs. How much would it cost me financially to go and just like hire a tutor to teach me a spell? Yeah. That's a, a basic thing. If you are going with a much more robust interaction and relationship and history with a magician npc you might not necessarily Mm -hmm. need to pay them in silver the cost from the book in order to maybe get a spell from them you might exchange favors you might use that as part of well how about i take a little bit of a lower cost for doing this job for you in exchange you will teach me a spell or two or something like that yeah there is absolutely like when it comes to the silver cost there is nothing that needs to be held to a hard 
and fast guide, you know, the hard and fast rule in that respect, Mm -hmm. if you're going with something a bit more in depth. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. So maybe they don't want, maybe that player doesn't necessarily want to role play as you did, uh, the downtime learning of the spell, uh, meeting the mentor, blah, 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 blah. They just want to get into the city, pay for it, get out and get on the next one. So that, that could be possible. Just, okay, here's the flat out cost. Why, you know, wash your hands of the, of the affair. See ya. Did you learn the guy's name? No, who cares? You know, you get your spell and move on. So <laughs> that said, I think it is doing a disservice to your world building and the potential for future plot hooks. Oh, yeah. Even if you don't necessarily on that initial interaction go hugely in depth, mm-hmm. you're dealing with a higher circle, you know, an equal or higher circle NPC of that character's discipline. Even if right now all they're looking for is to learn a useful new spell, that could be somebody that they would go back to in the future to train or advance in circle. Yeah. Give give them a name, give them a little bit of a hook, jot them down in your Game Master notes, mm-hmm. because you should be keeping Game Master notes, so that they could come back potentially in the future if you if you want to. Or perhaps I just had this idea in my head, of course, because it's not in my feet, that if maybe you've got a... a, a <laughs> a sparsely populated adventuring group and you've only got one spellcaster and you might need a second one. Perhaps you as the game master create an NPC who's two or three or four circles above that player, like a Jedi and a Padawan learner type dynamic where they could learn directly. Yeah, I would be a little bit careful about doing that as an NPC that would be traveling along with the group. Mm Mm-hmm. Only because you want to be careful that your NPC, because they're higher circle, does not outshine the player characters who really should be the focus of things. Yeah. There are plenty of horror stories, not just in Earthdawn, but in plenty of other games as well, <laughs> where a Game Master NPC it's kind of overshines or overshadows mm-hmm. the group because they're more powerful or whatever you might start straining credibility when it comes to reasons why your journeyman magician is not solving all the problems that your novice group is facing. Yeah. Fair. So you, you would want to be careful about that. Depending on this type of game you run, having mm-hmm. a, a higher circle game master character that is based in an area and acts as sort of a longer term mentor. Yeah. For the character. Absolutely. I think that would be great, but. Oh, totally. Adventuring with them is a, is a, potentially troublesome area if you're looking at somebody who is uh you know is, is a higher circle and that kind of thing fair having a it? having a gm a gm character going along because you've maybe got a small group or you've only got two or or three players and you're kind of looking to fill a gap in their mm-hmm. skill set um that that's a little bit of a different situation you probably want them to to be more of a filling in the gaps as opposed to yeah. Oh, you know, I'm going to be the Qui-Gon to your Obi-Wan kind of thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Like I said, it was an idea. I wanted to make sure that we could at least cover that for anybody who else. So I had yeah. the same thought at the same time I did. Who knows? But I defer. Absolutely. So I. It can be done just planting the, the little. Caution flag. Yellow traffic cone, <laughs> wet floor sign. Just be careful as you, if you, if you go into that area. Exactly. I'm okay with that. Uh, like I guess, like I said, uh, I just wanted to lead everybody through spell acquisition from the player side and kind of how to lace those in on the game master side. Cause my 
pool to draw from on the uh, pre-gen adventures didn't have a lot of that. And so I wanted to make sure that we could start filling those in for Game Master's help and players to know where to ask for them. So if you have any questions for us on anything we covered today about spells and acquisition and what's now in 4th edition compared to the other ones, uh, please feel free to email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and um, as always, feel free to uh, follow us on the various social media places. The official show feed <laughs> on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Dan's on Twitter. There's the Earth Dawn Guild. There are the FASA official Discord. Um, there is the FASA forums, which do not see a whole lot of activity, but in their own way are a good resource because... Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to follow a particular conversation or discussion there as opposed to Discord where everything kind of scrolls off into the distance. And you'll spend three days catching up? Yeah. <laughs> uh, FASA is trying to figure out what sort of stuff we might do a bit more regularly on our Twitch channel, which we used in conjunction with FreedoniaCon. Mm-hmm. So if you are not following uh, FASA Games Official on Twitch and you are a Twitch user go ahead and drop that a follow. We were based on the stats that kind of came out as a result of the weekend, actually kind of close to bumping up to affiliate status, which opens up some more options in terms of what we can do. Nice. And it's mostly follower count. That's the the limiter on that. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's where we, that's where we are. Okay, cool. Thank you folks. Thank you, Josh, for making the time and we will see you next time. So until then, it is time for you to go acquire the spell for your own legend. Good night, everybody.